Section 14 of the Green Fairy Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James O'Connor. The Green Fairy Book by Andrew Lang. Heart of Ice, Part 3. The following day, at the time appointed for the combat, when the king, the queen, and the princes had taken their places, and the whole court and the whole town were assembled to see the show, Prince Fadasse rode into the list magnificently armed and accoutred, followed by twenty-four squires and a hundred men-at-arms, each one leading a splendid horse. While Prince Mannikin entered from the other side, armed only with his spear, and followed by the faithful Musta. The contrast between the two champions was so great that there was a shout of laughter from the whole assembly. But when, at the sounding of a trumpet, the combatants rushed upon each other, and Mannikin, eluding the blow aimed at him, succeeded in thrusting Prince Fadasi from his horse and pinning him to the sand with his spear, it changed to a murmur of admiration. So soon as he had him at his mercy, however, Mannikin, turning to the princess, assured her that he had no desire to kill anyone who called himself her courtier, and then he bade the furious and humiliated Fadasi rise and thank the princess to whom he owed his life. Then, amid the sounding of the trumpets and the shoutings of the people, he and Musta retired gravely from the lists. The king soon sent for him to congratulate him upon his success and to offer him a lodging in the palace, which he joyfully accepted. While the princess expressed a wish to have Musta brought to her, and when the prince sent for him, she was so delighted with his courtly manners and his marvelous intelligence that she entreated Mannikin to give him to her for her own. The prince consented with alacrity, not only out of politeness, but because he foresaw that to have a faithful friend always near the princess might some day be of great service to him. All these events made Prince Mannikin a person of much more consequence at the court. Very soon after there arrived upon the frontier the ambassador of a very powerful king, who sent to Father Kinbras the following letter at the same time demanding permission to enter the capital in state to receive the answer. I, Branda Timor, to Father Kinbras send greeting. If I had before this time seen the portrait of your beautiful daughter Sabella, I should not have permitted all these adventurers and petty princes to be dancing attendants and getting themselves frozen with the absurd idea of meriting her hand. For myself, I am not afraid of any rivals, and now I have declared my intention of marrying your daughter. No doubt they will at once withdraw their pretensions. My ambassador has orders, therefore, to make arrangements for the princess to come and be married to me without delay, for I attach no importance at all to the farrago of nonsense which you have caused to be published all over the world about this ice mountain. If the princess really has no heart, be assured that I shall not concern myself about it, 
since if anybody can help her to discover one, it is myself. My worthy father-in-law, farewell. The reading of this letter embarrassed and displeased Father Kimbras and Birbantine immensely, while the princess was furious at the insolence of the demand. They all three resolved that its contents must be kept a profound secret until they could decide what reply should be sent. But Musta contrived to send word of all that had passed to Prince Manikin. He was naturally alarmed and indignant, and after thinking it over a little, he begged an audience of the princess, and led the conversation so cunningly up to the subject that was uppermost in her thoughts, as well as his own, that she presently told him all about the matter, and asked his advice as to what it would be best to do. This was exactly what he had not been able to decide for himself. However, he replied that he should advise her to gain a little time by promising her answer after the grand entry of the ambassador, and this was accordingly done. The ambassador did not at all like being put off after that fashion, but he was obliged to be content, and only said very arrogantly that so soon as his equipages arrived, as he expected they would do very shortly, he would give all the people of the city, and the stranger princes with whom it was inundated, an idea of the power and the magnificence of his master. Manikin, in despair, resolved that he would for once beg the assistance of the kind fairy Genesta. He often thought of her, and always with gratitude, but from the moment of his setting out he had determined to seek her aid only on the greatest occasions. That very night, when he had fallen asleep quite worn out with thinking over all the difficulties of the situation, he dreamed that the fairy stood beside him and said, Manikin, you have done very well so far. Continue to please me, and you shall always find good friends when you need them most. As for this affair with the ambassador, you can assure Sibella that she may look forward tranquilly to his triumphal entry, since it will all turn out well for her in the end. The prince tried to throw himself at her feet to thank her, but woke to find it was all a dream. Nevertheless, he took fresh courage, and went next day to see the princess, to whom he gave many mysterious assurances that all would yet be well. He even went so far as to ask her if she would not be very grateful to anyone who would rid her of the insolent Branda Timor, to which she replied that her gratitude would know no bounds. Then he wanted to know what would be her best wish for the person who was lucky enough to accomplish it to which she said that she would wish them to be as insensible to the folly called love as she was herself. This was indeed a crushing speech to make to such a devoted lover as Prince Manikin, but he concealed the pain it caused him with great courage. And now the ambassador sent to say that on the very next day he would come in state to receive his answer and from the earliest dawn the inhabitants were astir to secure the best places for the grand sight. But the good fairy Genesta was providing them an amount of amusement they were far from expecting, 
for she so enchanted the eyes of all the spectators that when the ambassador's gorgeous procession appeared the splendid uniforms seemed to them miserable rags that a beggar would have been ashamed to wear the prancing horses appeared as wretched skeletons hardly able to drag one leg after the other while their trappings which really sparkled with gold and jewels looked like old sheepskins that would not have been good enough for a plough horse the pages resembled the ugliest sweeps the trumpets gave no more sound than whistles made of onion stalks or combs wrapped in paper while the train of fifty carriages looked no better than fifty donkey carts in the last of these sat the ambassador with the haughty and scornful air which he considered becoming in the representative of so powerful a monarch for this was the crowning point of the absurdity of the whole procession that all who took part in it wore the expression of vanity and self-satisfaction and pride in their own appearance and all their surroundings which they believed their splendor amply justified the laughter and howls of derision from the whole crowd rose ever louder and louder as the extraordinary cortege advanced and at last reached the ears of the king as he waited in the audience hall and before the procession reached the palace he had been informed of its nature and supposing that it must be intended as an insult he ordered the gates to be closed you may imagine the fury of the ambassador when after all his pomp and pride the king absolutely and unaccountably refused to receive him he raved wildly both against king and people and the cortege retired in great confusion jeered at and pelted with stones and mud by the enraged crowd it is needless to say that he left the country as fast as horses could carry him but not before he had declared war with the most terrible menaces threatening to devastate the country with fire and sword some days after this disastrous embassy king bayard sent couriers to prince mannikin with a most friendly letter offering his services in any difficulty and inquiring with the deepest interest how he fared mannikin at once replied relating all that had happened since they parted not forgetting to mention the event which had just involved father kinbras and branda timor in this deadly quarrel and he ended by entreating his faithful friend to dispatch a few thousand of his veteran spaniels to his assistance neither the king the queen nor the princess could in the least understand the amazing conduct of branda timor's ambassador nevertheless the preparations for the war went forward briskly and all the princes who had not gone on towards the ice mountain offered their services at the same time demanding all the best appointments in the king's army mannikin was one of the first to volunteer but he only asked to go as aide-de-camp to the commander-in-chief who was a gallant soldier and celebrated for his victories as soon as the army could be got together it was marched to the frontier where it met the opposing force headed by branda timor himself who was full of fury determined to avenge the insult to his ambassador 
and to possess himself of the Princess Sabella. All the army of Fata Kinbras could do, being so heavily outnumbered, was to act upon the defensive, and before long Mannequin won the esteem of the officers for his ability, and of the soldiers for his courage, and care for their welfare, and in all the skirmishes which he conducted he had the good fortune to vanquish the enemy. At last Branda Timur engaged the whole army in a terrific conflict, and though the troops of Fata Kinbras fought with desperate courage, their general was killed, and they were defeated and forced to retreat with immense loss. Mannequin did wonders, and half a dozen times turned the retreating forces and beat back the enemy, and he afterwards collected troops enough to keep them in check until the severe winter setting in put an end to hostilities for a while. He then returned to the court, where consternation reigned. The king was in despair at the death of his trusty general, and ended by imploring Mannequin to take the command of the army, and his counsel was followed in all the affairs of the court. He followed up his former plan of amusing the princess, and on no account reminding her of that tedious thing called love, so that she was always glad to see him, and the winter slipped by gaily for both of them. The prince was all the while secretly making plans for the next campaign. He received private intelligence of the arrival of a strong reinforcement of spaniels, to whom he sent orders to post themselves along the frontier without attracting attention. And as soon as he possibly could, he held a consultation with their commander, who was an old and experienced warrior. Following his advice, he decided to have a pitched battle as soon as the enemy advanced, and this Branda Timor lost not a moment in doing, as he was perfectly persuaded that he was now going to make an end of the war and utterly vanquished Father Kinbras. But no sooner had he given the order to charge than the Spaniels, who had mingled with his troops unperceived, leaped each upon the horse nearest to him, and not only threw the whole squadron into confusion by the terror they caused, but springing at the throats of the riders, unhorsed many of them by the suddenness of their attack. Then, turning the horses to the rear, they spread consternation everywhere, and made it easy for Prince Mannequin to gain a complete victory. He met Branda Timor in single combat, and succeeded in taking him prisoner. But he did not live to reach the court, to which Mannequin had sent him. His pride killed him at the thought of appearing before Sibella under these altered circumstances. In the meantime, Prince Fadasi and all the others who had remained behind, were setting out with all speed for the conquest of the Ice Mountain, being afraid that Prince Mannequin might prove as successful in that as he seemed to be in everything else. And when Mannequin returned, he heard of it with great annoyance. True, he had been serving the princess, but she only admired and praised him for his gallant deeds, and seemed no whit nearer bestowing on him the love he so ardently desired and all the comfort Musta could give him on the subject was that at least she loved no one else. And with that he had to content himself. But he determined that, come what might, 
he would delay no longer, but attempt the great undertaking for which he had come so far. When he went to take leave of the king and queen, they entreated him not to go, as they had just heard that Prince Fadasi and all who accompanied him had perished in the snow. But he persisted in his resolve. As for Sabella, she gave him her hand to kiss with precisely the same gracious indifference as she had given it to him the first time they met. It happened that this farewell took place before the whole court, and so great a favorite had Prince Mannikin become that they were all indignant at the coldness with which the princess treated him. Finally the king said to him, Prince, you have constantly refilled all the gifts which in my gratitude for your invaluable services I have offered to you. But I wish the princess to present you with her cloak of Martin's fur, and that I hope you will not reject. Now this was a splendid fur mantle, which the princess was very fond of wearing, not so much because she felt cold, as that its richness set off to perfection the delicate tints of her complexion and the brilliant gold of her hair. However, she took it off, and with graceful politeness begged Prince Mannikin to accept it, which you may be sure he was charmed to do, and taking only this and a little bundle of all kinds of wood, and accompanied only by two spaniels out of the fifty who had stayed with him when the war was ended, he set forth, receiving many tokens of love and favor from the people in every town he passed through. At the last little village he left his horse behind him to begin his toilful march through the snow, which extended, blank and terrible, in every direction as far as the eye could see. Here he had appointed to meet the other forty-eight spaniels, who received him joyfully and assured him that, happen what might, they would follow and serve him faithfully. And so they started, full of heart and hope. At first there was a slight track, difficult but not impossible to follow, but this was soon lost, and the pole star was their only guide. When the time came to call a halt, the prince, who had after much consideration decided on his plan of action, caused a few twigs from the faggot he had brought with him to be planted in the snow, and then he sprinkled over them a pinch of the magic powder he had collected from the enchanted boat. To his great joy they instantly began to sprout and grow, and in a marvelously short time the camp was surrounded by a perfect grove of trees of all sorts, which blossomed and bore ripe fruit, so that all their wants were easily supplied and they were able to make huge fires to warm themselves. The prince then sent out several spaniels to reconnoitre, and they had the good luck to discover a horse laden with provisions stuck fast in the snow. They at once fetched their comrades and brought the spoil triumphantly into the camp, and as it consisted principally of biscuits, not a spaniel among them went supperless to sleep. In this way they journeyed by day and encamped safely at night, always remembering to take on a few branches to provide them with food and shelter. They passed by the way armies of those who had set out upon the perilous enterprise, 
who stood frozen stiffly without sense or motion but prince mannikin strictly forbade that any attempt should be made to thaw them so they went on and on for more than three months and day by day the ice mountain which they had seen for a long time grew clearer until at last they stood close to it and shuddered at its height and steepness but by patience and perseverance they crept up foot by foot aided by their fires of magic wood without which they must have perished in the intense cold until presently they stood at the gates of the magnificent ice palace which crowned the mountain where in deadly silence and icy sleep lay the heart of sabella now the difficulty became immense for if they maintained enough heat to keep themselves alive they were in danger every moment of melting the blocks of solid ice of which the palace was entirely built and bringing the whole structure down upon their heads but cautiously and quickly they traversed courtyards and halls until they found themselves at the foot of a vast throne where upon a cushion of snow lay an enormous and brilliantly sparkling diamond which contained the heart of the lovely princess sabella upon the lower step of the throne was inscribed in icy letters whosoever thou art who by courage and virtue canst win the heart of sabella enjoy peacefully the good fortune which thou hast richly deserved prince mannikin bounded forward and had just strength left to grasp the precious diamond which contained all he coveted in the world before he fell insensible upon the snowy cushion but his good spaniels lost no time in rushing to the rescue and between them they bore him hastily from the hall and not a moment too soon for all around them they heard the clang of the falling blocks of ice as the fairy palace slowly collapsed under the unwanted heat not until they reached the foot of the mountain did they pause to restore the prince to consciousness and then his joy to find himself the possessor of sabella's heart knew no bounds with all speed they began to retrace their steps but this time the happy prince could not bear the sight of his defeated and disappointed rivals whose frozen forms lined his triumphant way he gave orders to his spaniels to spare no pains to restore them to life and so successful were they that day by day his train increased so that by the time he got back to the little village where he had left his horse he was escorted by five hundred sovereign princes and knights and squires without number and he was so courteous and unassuming that they all followed him willingly anxious to do him honour but then he was so happy and blissful himself that he found it easy to be at peace with all the world it was not long before he met the faithful musta who was coming at the top of his speed hoping to meet the prince that he might tell him of the sudden and wonderful change that had come over the princess who had become gentle and thoughtful and had talked to him of nothing but prince mannikin of the hardship she feared he might be suffering and of her anxiety for him and all this with a hundred fonder expressions which put the finishing stroke to the prince's delight 
then came a courier bearing the congratulations of the king and queen who had just heard of his successful return and there was even a graceful compliment from sabella herself the prince sent musta back to her and he was welcomed with joy for was he not her lover's present at last the travellers reached the capital and were received with regal magnificence father kinbras and birbantine embraced prince mannikin declaring that they regarded him as their heir and the future husband of the princess to which he replied that they did him too much honour and then he was admitted into the presence of the princess who for the first time in her life blushed as he kissed her hand and could not find a word to say but the prince throwing himself on his knees beside her held out the splendid diamond saying madam this treasure is yours since none of the dangers and difficulties i have gone through have been sufficient to make me deserve it ah prince said she if i take it it is only that i may give it back to you since truly it belongs to you already at this moment in came the king and queen and interrupted them by asking all the questions imaginable and not infrequently the same over and over again it seems that there is always one thing that is sure to be said about an event by everybody and prince mannikin found that the question which he was asked by more than a thousand people on this particular occasion was and didn't you find it very cold the king had come to request prince mannikin and the princess to follow him to the council chamber which they did not knowing that he meant to present the prince to all the nobles assembled there as his son-in-law and successor but when mannikin perceived his intention he begged permission to speak first and told his whole story even to the fact that he believed himself to be a peasant's son scarcely had he finished speaking when the sky grew black the thunder growled and the lightning flashed and in the blaze of light the good fairy genesta suddenly appeared turning to prince mannikin she said i am satisfied with you since you have shown not only courage but a good heart then she addressed king fada kinbras and informed him of the real history of the prince and how she had determined to give him the education she knew would be best for a man who was to command others you have already found the advantage of having a faithful friend she added to the prince and now you will have the pleasure of seeing king bayard and his subjects regain their natural forms as a reward for his kindness to you just then arrived a chariot drawn by eagles which proved to contain the foolish king and queen who embraced their long-lost son with great joy and were greatly struck with the fact that they did indeed find him covered with fur while they were caressing sabella and wringing her hands which is a favorite form of endearment with foolish people chariots were seen approaching from all points of the compass containing numbers of fairies sire said genesta to father kinbras 
I have taken the liberty of appointing your court as a meeting place for all the fairies who could spare the time to come, and I hope you can arrange to hold the great ball which we have once in a hundred years on this occasion. The king, having suitably acknowledged the honor done him, was next reconciled to Gorgonzola, and they too presently opened the ball together. The fairy Marsontine restored their natural forms to King Bayard and all his subjects, and he appeared once more as handsome a king as you could wish to see. One of the fairies immediately dispatched her chariot for the Queen of the Spice Islands, and their wedding took place at the same time as that of Prince Mannikin and the lovely and gracious Sabella. They lived happily ever afterwards, and their vast kingdoms were presently divided between their children. The prince, out of grateful remembrance of the princess Sabella's first gift to him, bestowed the right of bearing her name upon the most beautiful of the Martins, and that is why they are called Sables to this day. Comte de Caillus End of Heart of Ice, Part 3 Recording by James O'Connor, Randolph, Massachusetts, August 2010